a third member back. Somehow we're less efficient. I know this is the second time we started recording the show. Well, you guys didn't know about the first one. That's why. <laughs> what happened yeah, in the first I, one? I feel like that's called wiretapping. <laughs> okay. If, if <laughs> yeah, you're recording exactly. conversations that we're having in private to use against us, that's wiretapping. But in order to pay my respects. Ah, well done, sir. Beat you to the punch. You can, ah, uh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> took my monster, too. At least we know it doesn't have salmonella this time. <laughs> it's nice to have you back, Odin. Thank you, sir. I'm going to buy you a water bottle for your first Christmas present. <laughs> Why my first Christmas? Because I've never bought you a Christmas present before because you're Muslim. Oh, that's true. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Who eats pork? Are you, part, are you part Muslim? I, what? Are you part Muslim? <laughs> is that, is that me? Can, can you be that? You know it's not an ethnicity, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just to be clear, whenever someone says you're Muslim, they're not saying, hey, that's where you came from, Muslamia. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so just, is that a yes or a no? My dad was Muslim originally, and then he converted to Christianity, but yet he still says prayers three times a day. It's very confusing. Three times a day. Yeah, he's making five. up his own rules. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> it's supposed to be five, but I'm not hating. Look, more than me. Bro, you've never gotten on a prayer rug and found Mecca. Okay, you, you were the last person to talk. What do you mean? Which way is east, motherfucker? Let's prove this out right now. Right now? I'll yeah. tell you what. Any way your heart is, it's all in the heart. Oh it's your God. it's your iman, as they like yeah, to say. Go ahead. Good. Did, he, did he mute you? What? Oh. <laughs> he came back feisty. So let me get this straight. If I were to walk into a Catholic church... Wait, uh, hold on. Don't try to now switch this on me. Okay, you just, fine. You, you just go back said to the that your dad thing? prays three times a day. I'm just, I'm just saying, just because he waters down his religion like everybody else in the world doesn't mean that it's not I water like, it down religious. too. No, you don't water it down, bro. If you said it doesn't matter which way is east, I'm just saying. It's, it's a little said, difficult. Man. I know which way east is in my house. This shit <laughs> doesn't feel like home to you? I don't pray outside my house. That's how I water it down. Do you pray inside your house? Occasionally. How? When I feel spiritual, yes. How, how, do, you, how do you spiritually pray? What do you mean, bro? You want me to teach you how to pray? Just saying Jesus Christ all the time doesn't mean a prayer. Like, what are you doing? What do you mean, bro? I know how to pray. Like a Quran? Like, what are you doing here? Do you not know what it means to pray, bro? I want to know how you pray. What do you mean? I get on the rug. I make sure I clean myself properly. You do not have a prayer rug. Stop it. We have multiple. What are you talking about? Where? Don't forget my sister's religious. Yeah, dude. What are you talking about? I I don't know who you are anymore. Bro, they were, They both went to, I think, the same school that you went to. Your Saturday school, they went to that school through eighth grade, Odin? Full-time, baby. Yeah, they were, they were full-time students. Not part-time like you, Saturday. <laughs> That's not even part-time, bro. What were you? You're like a, a, contra- so see, see a, a contractor. I mean? So he was part Muslim. <laughs> no, my parents allowed me to pick my religion. Your parents allowed you to pick your Yeah, it's great. Yeah. I, I, I respect went to, that. Uh, so what, you picked Islam for the first few years, and then you're like, nah. Don't say <laughs> Islam like you're all religious, too. You're not even religious. He's more religious than you are. Hey, what? Oh. <laughs> yeah. Five seconds ago. Five <laughs> seconds ago, I was nothing. Yeah, I still don't believe you're something, but even whatever the hell you are, you're no, more than he is. Whatever, I still, I, I pray at night every night, though. I still do that. Every but, night? But not on the rug? Like the, like the whole the thing? No, no, no. In bed to God by myself. That's different. Please that's wishful God, thinking. Let me wake up tomorrow morning. That's, wish- that's wishful thinking. That's <laughs> that's, no, you know what that is? Just because you, know you that say is? thank you, Jesus, or praise, praise God, or whatever. No, you, know? That, you know what that is? That's Michael Berry hedging my bet. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all you're doing. That's what that if is. If there is a Jesus, I just want you to know I'm sorry for all the things I thought today. <laughs> but if there isn't, I'm going to do it tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I know what it is. Just like Jamie Dimon. Uh, Uncle Jamie, back at it. He's trying to bring Jesus to the markets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That is what he's doing. So he said, yeah, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of the people making a huge mistake, I shall fear no recession. Because mm. he knows it's coming. He's suggesting if you don't think it's coming, you might be a drunken sailor. You might be stupid. I, he didn't say stupid. He I just mean, said drunken sailor. Yeah, you're right. Jamie Dimon is also a politician <laughs> who may or may not actually believe in God if you're the devil. So who wins, mm. who wins if they run for president? Patrick Bitt David or Jamie Dimon? Jamie Dimon all day. I'm open. Well, let's talk about it like four years from now. Uh, the trajectory that Patrick McDavid is on. Was he born here, though? I don't think he was born here. No, he was not. Yeah, so he's out. Yeah. Out. <laughs> we, we settled that. We said, yeah. You can call me Nostradamus, Chris, <laughs> for the rest of the episode. All right. We're going to move from Jamie Diamond into the fall of home prices uh, because guess what? That little period of time may have been over by now, but uh, we think there's more there. 
The U.S. is on course to build more apartments than ever in 2023. Something Saeed and I have talked about routinely, but we got data now because mm-hmm. we like to do math every once in a while. We're going to talk a lot about the U.S. consumer, both done being splurging in, in that period of their, their uh, economic life cycle, possibly, according to one Fed report, and about the uh, consumer credit growth, which uh, seemed to slow in July. Then we'll meander over to the Fed's own economists now expect a, quote, Goldilocks scenario, i.e. Jamie Dimon calling people drunken assholes or sailors or whatever. Goldilocks scenario. Yeah, Goldilocks scenario. I've been using it a lot to make fun of people. Like, they just have to keep switching it up just to stay fresh. Yeah, soft landing. Now it's a Goldilocks scenario. Yeah. Ooh, three little bears. What makes makes Goldilocks soft landing? I don't get it. Yeah, it's, it's, um... Wasn't she the one with three little bears, Goldilocks? <laughs> this one was while. three little bulls. Like <laughs> yeah. this one was and the too, three bears. This one wasn't warm enough. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this one was too hot. This, this one was, was too cold. cold. And this one was just, just right. right. Yeah. You know that's also breaking and entering. Just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. Nobody cares. Just because <laughs> you know Goldilocks rolling in someone's house and straight to their jail. Food. Yeah, straight to jail. Right away, straight through jail. But before we do any of that. Welcome back to the Higher Standard. We are the number one financial literacy podcast in the world. Welcome back to the show, everybody. That is Saeed Omar, my partner in time. And crime. Well, if we're trying other people's oatmeal, definitely. Yeah. And welcome once again back from his trip to the sack. (laughs) Arun, fresh (laughs) off a set of fries from Chick-fil-A. Yeah. You too, big boy. I had some fries, yes. I was how celebrating your return. How was Sacktown, man? Is it still all about the cowbells? Remember how derogatory that was in the early 2000s? Everyone was referencing cowbells for for people who lived in Sacktown. What? Oh, do you remember? During yeah. the Lakers rivalry with the Sacramento uh, Kings. Oh, gotcha, yeah, yeah. And then they like they owned it. They would come to the games with cowbells. Which is obnoxious as shit. Yeah, Can you no, imagine trying totally... to watch a basketball game with that shit going on in the background? In our favorite uh, Kobe Bryant quote of the day, they asked him about it. Does the noise bother you at all? His response? I've never seen noise block a shot. Mm. Didn't phase him. Gangster. You have so much wasted space in your head on like... It's, it, the, it's astonishing to me. Know, How it's, many? It's like, the Mamba mentality, man. Don't fight the Mamba mentality. It's not the Mamba mentality. It's just you've only got so much stuff you can remember. That's not true. I'm about to show you. <laughs> Are we making threats now? Is that what we're doing? Let's go. Thirty right, people so to show? Start off the show. Start off the show. No, this is his article, man. I'm gonna let him go. Every article is his article. Everyone. Because he doesn't let me have articles, man. You see, first ten is you don't paste it first. So because I spent a lot of time in different religions, okay, um, <laughs> Buddhism, Christianity, Catholicism, Judaism. Really? Uh, yeah, is uh, Jewish. Jewish temples, a lot of that. You know, I've got a lot of respect for a lot of different cultures. I can tell you the main tenet amongst all of them is don't fucking lie. Okay? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, yeah. straight to jail. Straight right to jail. away. You're going to hell. Let's go. Jamie Dimon says it is a huge mistake to think the economy will boom with so many risks out there. This, according to a CNBC article, out today. And for those of you who would like to know, today is Monday, September 11th. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, oh, by the way, shit, September 11th. Yeah, dude, Adam came home, and he immediately said, can we send a video to uh, his uncle, right, who's a doctor? Mm. You know, I just wanted to tell him a thank you for helping out the community. He doesn't know, like, this doctor yeah, doesn't yeah. know over there. He's like, my teacher said, if you know any doctors or nurses or oh, wow. firefighters or policemen, that we should thank them. So he wanted to send a video to my cousin who's a doctor to say thank you for, hel- for helping out the community. That's yeah, sweet. it was That's really cute. sweet, yeah. What's not cute and what's not sweet is what Jamie Dimon is basically taking shots across the bow at your boy Brian Moynihan, but more on that to come. J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon said Monday that while the U.S. economy is doing well, it would be this, quote, huge mistake to believe that it will last for years. Okay? Not going to last for years. Yeah. Because he thinks there are problems. What problems, may you ask? Yeah, what are the problems? Oh, I'm glad you asked, Saeed. <laughs> Topping his concerns include central banks re-reining in Liquidity programs via quantitative tightening. I am having one of those reading nights. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell. Uh, the Ukraine Just war. Slow down. Slow down. You're excited. I think you're excited I'm about excited. this show. I'm excited. That the boys back. are back in yeah, town. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Quantitative tightening, the Ukraine war, <laughs> and governments around the world spending like drunken sailors, the CEO said. Mm. 
To say the consumer is strong today, meaning you are going to have a booming environment for years, is a huge mistake, Diamond went on to say. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I think I thought this was a great way to start the show because it lets you know that there is somebody out there. Now, granted, Jamie Diamond is not always the world's best economist. He's a politician. Right. But look, this is a pretty logical thing to say. Hey, guys, I know that people are talking about a Goldilocks solution coming from the Fed where they land it just right. The economy lands perfectly. We don't have a job loss recession. And the market's going to they're going to stay stable. And then, then the 10-year treasury is going to hover where it's at now. But then it'll come back down. And the Fed will cut rates. And the rates will go back down. And affordability won't be a huge issue because people will just have lower payments because rates went down. And then they'll start buying homes. And, and then the economy will get moving again. And then it's going to be all great. And then we're not going to lose any jobs. We're not going to have any wage losses. It's the perfect outcome. But it's not the perfect outcome. It's not. And the reason why is there are problems that people are not acknowledging. And that is effectively what Jamie Dimon is saying. There are too many unknown quantities, too many variables out there. Affordability in my mind, in Saeed's mind, in Arun's mm-hmm. mind maybe, uh, being chiefly among those. Right. So there's some other things too that I think are worth mentioning and noting. That a lot of uh, the government's stimulus that was being handed out over the last couple of years, that's going away. Stimmies, PPP, right? what? Student loan deferral, what? Yeah, that's gone. Mind you, the beginning of this year, the Social Security benefits got an 8.7% increase, the largest amount they've ever had. Not a whole lot. Yeah, but it's so small. It's so small, right? Yeah. But in addition to that, there was like government contractors were paid substantially. A lot of that had to do with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, and there was an infrastructure bill that was passed, right? I think the infrastructure bill was like $1.2 trillion. And those things take time to come into fruition. But now those contractors are starting to get paid out. So once that starts, that stuff starts to go away, and that is ultimately contributing to this overall problem, right? In addition to that, what have we seen? Did you see the, the report from the San Francisco Fed? We referenced it on the show a couple of weeks ago, how savings came down mm-hmm. from $500 yeah. billion to $190 billion. Which is a huge drop. Huge drop. Only one problem with that. So excess household savings in the U.S. have fallen every month for the past 23 months. So Damn, this, that's almost two years. Wow. This isn't this problem that went from 500 to 190 has been going on, you know, way longer than just the last couple months. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like we were being lied to. I the, know we're being lied to. The, the, I, the jobs reports have been a lie. Mm-hmm. That is inconclusively, I mean, I'm sorry, that is conclusively a fact at this point. Anybody who says, oh, my God, that's not true, it's conspiracy theory. No, it is true. Right. Every single jobs report that's come out over the last, call it five months, maybe even longer, has been revised down not once but twice. And there are plenty of articles from plenty of sources that really highlight that as being just factual. And yet you only get the headline number that comes out the first time, not the revisions down, that that's announced by the news and out there. Right. At the same time... Nothing has really improved from the banking sector from March till now. It's probably even worse than it is now. Bank earnings are down way more than they were back in March. Yep. But yet the rhetoric in the media seems to have been gone. And I can't help but think you've got an election coming up in November. The powers that be are are clearly leaning into to some of these reporting, which are government agencies. Mm-hmm. Some of these reports that are coming from government agencies. And, and I would say that, they're, they're, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to, I don't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist, but these numbers are being manipulated. Yeah. So, so in that report from the San Francisco Fed, the, at the rate at which the savings have, are being, uh, are, it's going away, it's a hundred billion dollars a month. If it's going at, down at that rate, why are we just hearing about this now? Mm. The alarms on that should have been sounding a long time ago. Um, as of July of 2023, the U.S. personal savings rate stood at 3.5%. That's now officially below pre-pandemic levels. Yeah. Okay? The average over the last 10 years was 8.1%. To put that into perspective— But the last 10, year, 10 years was fucking skewed. Okay, and that's people, fine. People were saving too much. <clears throat> that's fine. But that's what people needed to I feel get like by. you're choking up a little bit there. Are you okay? <laughs> no, I got a little—I think a little mucus buildup. <clears throat> yeah, get but, it out. Get it out. But cough it up, cough it up. But Come to on. put that into perspective, so three point five percent to that eight point one percent for people to know, right? If you're if you're getting a paycheck of three thousand dollars, right, your take home pay, 
that 3.5% savings rate is only leaving you with $105. Mm. That's not enough for people to get by. And guess what's coming online in October? Student loan repayments, baby. Yeah, well, technically it started in September, but you don't get the first payment due until October. Right. Yeah. Average payment on that is $300. And it's going to be it's going to be an interesting time. I, we've, we've said on the show before that we thought September was going to be a really critical turning point for the economy. I still think that holds true. Mm-hmm. The same way we said that July uh, early in the year was going to be a, the, the opportunity to buy, and that's where home prices seem to have like settled downward. Uh, but I think if I were going to make a similar prediction to what we've made in the past moving forward for things about like the, the economy, for example, I would say that I don't buy into the rosy optimism that we're seeing from people in the markets. I don't buy into the ideology of a Goldilocks scenario. I don't think that's the way this works, right? You don't have 14 years of all these things happen and you just undo it by some simple Fed policy and you find a magical way through it, mm-hmm. right? I would say that's probably a very naive and optimistic perspective from a lot of people who, granted, are good economists and sophisticated who have a vested interest in the outcome. Right. That's all it is. Like, yeah. you want to keep the times good times rolling for you so you want to believe exactly i mean something that stands out to me um more so than anything it's very simple if the consumer is in such good shape okay how are their savings being depleted and why are credit card balances reaching all-time highs and why are credit card delinquencies on the rise if the consumer is in such good shape so here's a crazy thing remember brian moynihan bank of america ceo yes he did a CNBC uh, interview a couple, and I've been trying not to watch CNBC the last couple of months just to try to take a break. And I'm also in a new office, doesn't have a TV for a little while until I go back to my old office. But um, it, I saw so I caught a glimpse of it, and I, I wanted to watch the whole thing, and I, re- I immediately regretted doing it. He was so optimistic on the consumer's position still. The same guy who said months ago consumers were in great shape has acknowledged that their savings has been depleted, but still it comes up with all these variables. And again, take a step back and you go, why would the Bank of America CEO say this? Because Bank of America is a retail consumer deposit-driven institution. Mm-hmm. The majority of their deposits are, quote, sticky because most people, consumers that bring money to them, aren't bringing massive lump sums of money. But what they're doing is they have tons of people bringing a little bit of money and they use them as their operating cash flow. So they don't pay a, whole lot, whole lot of, a lot of interest on those. I'm way over-caffeinated tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the money comes in and out. It's inflow, outflow. Right. And he's pitching that the consumer is strong to consumers he wants deposits from. So, again, it, it's not, I'm not saying that he's trying to manipulate the market, but what it is, it's an inherent internal bias that skews what he sees. Mm-hmm. And someone like Jamie Dimon, who's in the exact same business, does have a massive retail component with J.P. Morgan Chase, but is not traditionally the same focus of, of a retail bank, uh, you know, at least not solely. Uh, can come out and say something like, I think it's a huge mistake to think the economy will boom with all the, in the years to come with all these risks out there. Right. So, but the, again, his, his language is interesting. It, it says that it, it, he doesn't think it's going to boom, but he also doesn't think that it's, he doesn't say anywhere that he thinks it's going to fail. He just knows that there's a lot of risks. Quantitative tightening is a great example. Yeah. Right. We, we almost not talked about this at all in the last several months, but other than Fed policy, mm-hmm. other than the, the core Fed policy of increasing interest rates, Quantitative tightening is still happening. Now, it's not happening at the cadence that we expected it to happen. And you can look at that online. You can see the Fed's balance sheet where it's not, it's not right. decreasing. I believe New York. Yeah. yeah. But that being said, it's still going to have some impacts as you start pulling liquidity out of the markets, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what they're ultimately trying to do. Arun, next article, if you will. Por favor. I think this is a good little segue here. Um, because the fall in home prices may already be over. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. I put some, just highlight kind of d- details from this, but I thought we'd speak more objectively. Sale, sales of previously owned homes are now down about 36% from January 2022, but prices are generally holding firm outside of a few troubled spots. Now, that in and of itself has got a little kind of nuance to it. If sales are down 36%, but prices are staying the same, you're not seeing a lot of sale transactions, which can influence prices. So the few sales that are trading are trading at a, at a way that seems to be holding values up. Right. Okay. Fair enough to say. The national median existing home sales <coughs> price rose 
1.9% in July from a year earlier to $406,700, according to the National Association of Realtors. In August, prices in the 30 of the 50 biggest markets hit record highs. Record highs. Just coming off what was then, a month before, of overall sales prices going down, according to the mortgage data and technology company Black Knight, which you know that I love so much. So really what this comes down to is we've seen a, a bit of a spike up. And I think what happened in July is exactly what we thought was going to happen. Home values dipped down a little bit. And a lot of people who were waiting on the sidelines said, now is the time for me to pull the trigger. I'm going to start buying now. Right. And that had a little blip up in home prices. But there wasn't a lot of sales and a lot, a lot, a lot of transactions. And people who did get in the market knew that they were paying and they were overpaying a little bit. But they knew they were getting a tiny price break from what they had and maybe a little bit more leverage than what they had historically in the last couple of years. Right. I mean, prices are still down year over year in some places that were really booming. Like Austin is down 11.9% in August. So, but when you look at the national averages, if it's down 11.9% in Austin and the net average is, I, I believe, what was it, 2.3%, right? That means it's, it's skewed somewhere else, you know, really high. So Arun pulls up a great chart here. To, to, this really proves out your point. This from the same Wall Street Journal article, U.S. median existing home price change from a year earlier. You can see the massive spike up. Yeah. And there was a pretty significant drop down, obviously coming just after 2020, mm -hmm. um, hitting the high in May 2021 of 25.2%, and then dropping all the way down to July 2023, where you get a plus 1.9%. Mm -hmm. So pretty significant swing in, in the, the chart. If you don't subscribe to the YouTube channel, this might be one of the instances where you'd want to do that right. because you get to see the visuals like this, which go along with our sexy voices and Saeed's coughing. But really, I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but um, the uh, something that really got highlighted in from this article that I pulled out was the average uh, principal and interest payment for homeowners currently right now, those with mortgages. Mm -hmm. The average payment is roughly around $1,300, okay, in the month of June. But those... Applying for a new loan for a 30-year fixed mortgage is $2,300. Yeah. I mean, that's a significant jump. And that's and that right there is the reason why people aren't willing to sell their homes. You got to think, why would I sell my home that probably has somewhere under a 6% rate? I don't know about you. Mine's sub 3%. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, 2.99. I think I'm at 3.71. Right? Why would I sell... Right now, and then go pay seven and a half. No, I'm at two point seven one. Shit. Oh, so you just wanted to win? No, no, I just forgot. You it, are what we like time. to call a one upper. That's what you are. I'm not a one upper. You're a one upper. Okay. Well, in order to make you feel better about yourself, I will insult myself. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I live in a very tiny house compared to you. No. <laughs> you oh, is that? Oh, dude, is Christopher a one upper? Has been. I'm sorry. His whole life. Uh, are both of you, like, <laughs> drinking Drano on the side? What's wrong with your voices? Jesus. No, if we were drinking Drano, it would be much clearer, right? <laughs> What's going on with you? Normally, I'm the guy with the coughing problem, but between tickle shits over here and you behind the mic over there, I'm very put off. What's going on? My, my daughter my daughter was sick the last two weeks. And you tell me now? She didn't have COVID, bro. What do you want me to do? So COVID's the only time where you disclose sickness now? What do you mean? Are you going to do the show wearing masks? Yes. <laughs> you wearing a mask. No, not going to happen. But she didn't have COVID, so it's, it's all fair game. So you didn't tell me when she was sick, and you're now not telling me that you're sick? I'm not sick. I'm great. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> but in this, in this closed-off room. But uh, she's, been, she's been a little under the weather, and she's been wanting uh, Daddy to sleep next to her. So I have been. So fuck it. All night long? Yeah. What do you mean? I'll go down together. I'm not going to have her wake up and me be gone. So, so we were the parents... That sleep trained our kids to the T. We had our kids, both kids, sleeping in their own bedrooms after 40 days. They were alive for 40 days. They went off into their own rooms. And they never, ever once asked to sleep in our bed. And then we, all of our friends started talking about how, oh, like, um, our kids are, slept in our bed last night. It was so sweet. And we're like, fuck, did we miss out? So now I'm trying to make up for lost time. And try to you know spend some more like have some sleepovers. And explain but, explain the bed situation as well. What Chris do you mean? Is thinking like you're literally laying next to her. Oh no! So we bought them. We bought them. Uh, so our house is a smaller home, but uh, the beds that we got them, it is, bro. Get out of here! <laughs> it's a smaller home, and the bedrooms are the kids' bedrooms are smaller. 
Um, so what we did is we got them beds that have pull-out mattresses under, underneath. So, like, I'm sleeping on the pull-out under her bed. I'm not in the same mattress. I don't understand. What's the problem? I didn't say there's a problem. You're looking at me like there's a problem. I'm still trying to get over the fact that you think your house is a small home. No, it's a smaller home. I mean, keep in mind, I downsized 1,100 square feet to move into this. So thing. my home wouldn't even be a home to you? I did not say that. Why are you putting words you're in my mouth? Because into this. Wow. Bro, <laughs> bro, you know what you're, you know what you're doing right now? You're acting like I'm a millennial, bro. I'm not acting like yeah, a millennial. Yeah, yeah, you are. I identify as a small homeowner. <laughs> this is what, okay? this, this is what you're doing. You're trying to start problems for no reason. There, no, there are no problems. Place. Why are you causing problems? I'm not causing a problem. I'm just clearly identifying that you are a better man than me because you can afford a much larger home. That's not true. Christopher, can I ask you a question? Nope. Let me ask you a question. I don't feel like it's going to be an appropriate one. It is. One upper. Let him ask you a question. Yeah. Thank you. That's your new nickname. Mm, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, I can't believe people have dropped off the arrogant uh, comments, arrogant reviews. Because they know that I'm not arrogant. You're just a villain who tries to make me look <laughs> bad. And as you were saying, please continue. Okay. Didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. Okay. Could you use a bigger home? Oh, yeah. If I could afford one, sure. Yeah. Christopher, can you afford one? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> And for our YouTube listeners, you can see how he's blatantly lying. <laughs> it's not a good time to buy, man. I'm a man who practices what he preaches. I would not sit on this show You're right. and tell people not to do things. But that we have I routinely said, we have routinely said, use it for your utility. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. There's a part of having a 1,180 square foot home. It's a three-story attached townhome that we originally bought as an investment property that, that I lived in alone for a long time. My wife and I lived in alone. Now we had our son in it. It's it's a I mean, granted it's cramped. No, it's a beautiful. I love I love your place. I I personally really really like your place. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, uh, Chris, be careful, tread carefully. One day you will buy a home, and we will revisit this this topic. We can revisit it all you like. <laughs> okay, we'll see whose house is bigger then. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a cold plunge. Hey, God you're, damn gonna, it. you're gonna lose this one. You're gonna lose this one. Chris, not why'd today. You buy a seven thousand square foot home. Yeah, exactly. It's just you, Joanna, and Carter. I don't know what I would do with seven thousand square feet. No, that's I'd probably walk much. around. That's like, a lot. Lost. You wouldn't get something that big, would you? I doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. I doubt it. No, Maybe. I mean in in Irvine, I'd be lucky to get like a thirty five hundred square foot home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, half that Arun, if you want to do math. Yeah. Speaking of homes. Can I get back on to the show, or did you want to continue to deflect your villainism? Mm. You're done? Deflecting? Um, yeah, I mean, sure. Okay. Saito was trying to think of a creative way to segue, but he couldn't, so he just went with, I mean, sure. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I found, uh, I've been following a lot of pages on Instagram that have charts. Uh, there's a chart of the day. There's this one, Charter, spelled C-H-A-R-T-R. Uh, they have really cool economic data presented in very visually appealing ways. So I really, really like this one. It was something that we spoke about a lot on the show. Mm-hmm. But uh, the U.S. is on course to build more apartments than ever in 2023. And there are a number of people who message, I think, both you and me in uh, the DMs talking about how com- commercial real estate for the regulatory definition includes multifamily apartments as a form of commercial real estate. Yeah, but well, a lot of people think the risk profile is different. Right. When So when people are talking about commercial real estate, it also includes apartment buildings. And there's been a lot of concern in the market that commercial real estate is going to be impacted. But most people think about office or retail. Some people are very, very worried about multifamily apartments because of the amount of apartments that are coming online, more deliveries to the market. And to explain a little bit historically about how this happened, I thought a primer before I got into the data would be very useful. Okay. So what happened was during the pandemic, nobody was lending. People stopped lending. They started freaking out. And then even if you did lend and you wanted to have like a construction loan to build apartment units, who the hell was going to come to work when everybody was worried about COVID? Right. So effectively, the market shut down. Now, typically speaking, construction loans, for even for large projects, are somewhere between 18 to 24 months. Right. Oh, from the be- from the beginning to the end, right? Because from they- the beginning, you start the construction where you break ground mm-hmm. all the way to you finish construction, yeah, and they get paid out in phases. They get paid out in phases because they have something called uh, fund control, and they basically control the disbursements to make sure you're meeting certain objectives, so your loan doesn't get over leveraged for the amount of work that's been done, and the underlying collateral, which is your property that's being built, mm-hmm. is suitable for the bank, so that if they take it over, they can finish it with the amount of reserve that they have left of your loan. So basically when they give you a loan, they hold it for you and they disperse the proceeds of that loan as construction completes over time. Right. So 
that process typically 18 to 24 months. Well, when the pandemic was over and construction loans started coming back in the market, that was about, call it two years ago before it really got up to full cadence. Mm-hmm. And everybody was building one particular type of multifamily apartment, high-end luxury apartments. And it wasn't all across the country as much as it was in the Sun Belt region of the United States. So think California, Arizona, uh, Texas, and Florida. If you want to think about the smiling kind of port lower half of the of the state of the country, mm-hmm. right? Right. Those states, more than any other state, built these high-end luxury units because there were higher wages being earned after 14 years of artificial interest rate deflation and this this very prosperous economy. It pushed rents up. People wanted to buy in nicer homes. They wanted to rent nicer apartments. They want the granite countertops. Mm-hmm. They they want the luxury gym. They want all the amenities. You know, they wanted all these things. So if you're an apartment builder, to build a luxury property versus a non-luxury property, it's an incremental difference. It's not and, very And they much make these places look so nice, like resorts. I remember Arun, when he first got married, mm. he lived in one like this. Oh, did he? Right, Arun? And it, I remember going to visit him, I'm like, I could see myself living here forever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice. And for the builder, it isn't that much more expensive to build the luxury stuff, but the rents you get are incrementally, not incrementally, they're, they're significantly larger. Mm-hmm. So they built these properties. Now, when they're underwritten, when banks decide to make a loan on them, they have to go, okay, what's market rent in the area? What could this property rent for? And what will the cash flow be? Because that's how much money they're going to need in order to pay down the debt every month in the form of debt service coverage ratio or how much income are they going to make relative to the property's expenses. Yes. So the expenses don't really change a whole lot because it's a luxury property. It's still water, trash, you know, utilities, power, stuff like that. And mm-hmm. it's still repair and maintenance and your vacancy factors. Whatever on-site markets. employees you have. Or- yeah, I mean, if it's over 16 units in California, for example, you need on-site property manager. Stuff like that, right? So everybody built high in luxury because this was supposed to be where all the income was driven. Well, others are less optimistic, noting that even as apartment construction hits multi-decade highs, the amount of units that lower income groups can actually afford has been sliding the other way. Indeed, Rent Cafe's report classified 89% of the new apartments as, quote, high-end, end quote, properties targeted at upper, middle, and high-income earners. Wow. And the chart that Arun has up here from Charter, which is the, the social uh, social media page, is, is pretty telling. It goes all the way back to 1973, all the way up to this year, 2023, which, by the way, is not over yet. The amount of deliveries are way higher mm-hmm. than any period and the highest ever since, call it, uh, 2010-ish. Mm-hmm. There was a dip just after the Great Recession. Yeah. And you can see there's, there's this kind of a sine wave pattern here where it goes up and down. Now, what's interesting is the down periods are recessions. Now, you saw a small dip in 2020, but it was brief, right? Because there were still projects coming online. Mm-hmm. It, was, it wasn't a full recession where it took the last 7, 10 years from trough to trough, peak to peak. It was a tiny, tiny little you know, pandemic recession. So I don't think you saw it as visible as a pop. But if you look back in the 1993 range, yeah, that was the last dip. Then you go forward to the 2010. Bubble. So you have a dot-com bubble. You have mm-hmm. the Great Recession bubble, which kind of followed those, right? In 1970s, you have the 70s hyperinflation, yep. right? So if you're looking at this as an indicator, it could read as, hey, this is going to go down the other way. And as it goes down the other way, you're in a recessionary economy in the next couple of years. Right. And with more higher end, if, if it's really targeting higher end units and then more of those units come online and they're competing with one another, mm-hmm. you would hope that the rents start to either stay stagnant or maybe even come down a little. And they're, they're projected to. Now- a lot of people have been like, Chris, why are you so critical of Grant Cardone? <laughs> he buys largely in areas like Florida. And as a guy who, because I have we have offices in Naples, who routinely will fly into Miami and drive from Miami across the Everglades. Everglades, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm driving outside of Miami, the outside of the airport, straight out through the Everglades and straight into Naples. When you make that drive from the airport of Miami to the outskirts of, of the city, before you get to the Everglades, it is just jam-packed of massive 
luxury apartment builds, everywhere you look, there's cranes. Really? Everywhere you look. It's still building. And I mean, it, it, it is shocking how many that are there. Mm. And I look at this and I think, okay, if you're Grant Cardone and you bought a lot of these properties in Florida markets, right? Which are high in deliveries in a state that's in the Sunbelt region mm -hmm. with bridge debt that's adjustable. And you do that based on the future rent you could collect after improving these properties, right? What if you can't collect that future upside rent? What if you can't? And then you can't, yeah, what's going to happen? What if you can't get rates that you thought were going to be at maximum 5% or maybe 6%, mm -hmm. right? The 30-year mortgage, I think, rate today on average was 7.3%. And a lot of economists, particularly those in the single-family market, people who work for, like, Housing Wire, and there's a lot of them I respect. Logan's a great example of that, right, over at Housing Wire. They believe that the upward pressure on the 10-year treasuries is going to slow, if not stop. And you'll see the 10-year back off, which means that mortgage rates will come back down by the end of the year. I think Logan called for a terminal rate on the 10-year treasury at about 4.25 or somewhere in there. It was Oh, it's interesting. It was at like 4.34 yeah, last week. It's over that. So yeah. I, he, he thinks he's still a close an approximate approximation of where it's at. I think it's got room to go up to five. Right. Which would push mortgage rates well above the 8% 8, 8 mark-ish. Right. So, I mean, it really comes down to that. The whole point uh, of the multifamily thing was to say that this this is another one of those indicators that that Jamie Dimon's looking at saying, like, why are you confident when there's things like this that are happening, which are clearly going to have impacts? Right. Now, there are people who think that this can be, I guess, absorbed by the market. Properties won't make as much. You have to come more cash in for refinances. If you're a builder, maybe you have to figure out another way to, to bring more capital contribution in in order to pay down the loan a little bit more because you can't get the cash flow you wanted to. But... It doesn't mean that it's, it's all doom and gloom. Right. It just means that there's clearly challenges on the horizon. Right. Well, so I think something else that um, Jamie Dimon was also looking at that I didn't get a chance to bring in in the show was there was an article from Bloomberg. Odin, can you pull that article up, please? Um, had to do with the bankruptcies that are coming out. Oh, he did mention bankruptcies. Yeah. He did. Right. Here you go. This is from Bloomberg. Business bankruptcies soar in August as rising interest rates bite. Yeah, see, I still haven't seen numbers where I think soaring is is the appropriate language, but you've been on this since the beginning of the year. The numbers the numbers aren't there yet, and and it was a whole topic that I wanted to get into with you. Okay, so the number of commercial bankruptcies increased nearly 17% in August compared to July. That marks the 13th consecutive month that total bankruptcies, including families and individuals, have logged year over year. Okay, so um, according to the article... From Bloomberg, the number of Chapter 11 bankruptcies mm. climbed by 54% year over year. Now, Chapter 11 just means a reorganization. It's a reorganization, yeah. So they're not, you know, it's not curtains. They're not closing their doors. But it's also not a good look either. Most people, individuals, don't go Chapter 11. They usually go Chapter 13 or, right. or Chapter 7. I can't remember. Whatever. Chapter 7. Chapter 7, yeah, sorry. Um, chapter 11 reorganizations are usually for companies. They're going to reorganize their debt so the company will still be there. Yeah. And they try to restructure, reorganize their debt, write some of it off, obviously. Right. But um, yeah, there's varying degrees of success so with, with that in, in times like that. A handful of the bankruptcies were companies that had $50 million of assets or more. Yeah. Just a handful. Not a whole lot. Nothing to be you know sounding the alarms on. But at the rate at which they're going that we've talked about. But what it's gonna, who it's going to hurt the most, I feel like, in the say, say in the next six months or so, are going to be small business owners. Mm -hmm. So uh, right now, on average, the average person who has a home has about $200,000 in equity in their home, okay? And I wouldn't be surprised if you're a small business owner right now and you're struggling, you can't get a loan from a bank, you know? people. Are, one way that a lot of people are going to try to avoid this reception is going to be tapping into their home equities, okay? Who's going to provide them the loans? I don't know. Right. So, God damn it, I, just, I can't remember who, who I originally saw cited, but this was a great debate that that I heard the other day, and I can't oh. remember the two economists. Mm. But um, basically, one was saying that we haven't hit the point in the economy where people are tapping into their only source of wealth right now, which is the equity they've received over the last, call it, ten to fourteen years. Yeah. But when that happens, that that was their belief, and I, I share some of this as well that that will be the catalyst for more homes going to market. Mm -hmm. And then 
thus bringing down home prices over a longer, prolonged period of time. But if you're if you're a small business owner, you know, which makes up about fifty percent of the country, right? Mm -hmm. And this is something that you've built, for, I don't know for how long, right? And the system is, I mean, for lack of a better term, failing you. Small business owners typically don't bail out when they probably should because they're emotionally connected to their business. Emotionally connected, yeah. right? And um, it's hard to. I get it. You built this. It's your baby. And it's so, and here's and here's the fundamental difference between. Uh, small businesses and you know, so a larger business, they don't have access to the cheap capital that a large business does, right? So, for instance, like a larger business, right, a company could issue corporate bonds or get bank loans still, right? Mm -hmm. There's government programs out there for them, right? Yeah, but I will say in times like this, a let's say you're a publicly traded larger business, mm -hmm. Doing any of those things would signal weakness to the market, especially yeah. because you have to report to the market why sure. you're doing it and your your financials are all public. Right. So th there's a weird kind of, I guess, happy medium where if you're a larger private company, yeah. it's a whole hell of a lot easier than if you're a larger public company. But at the end of the day, it's still more tools in your shed. More, You have more things that you can tap into. I feel like you're talking about tools like you use them a lot and you're not a tool guy. I'm a tool guy. You're not a tool but guy. But- and in addition to that, what they could also do is they could sell stock, right? They could all, which is which I understand is a bad look. You can sell ownership. How about, how about we call it that? Uh, yeah. Selling stock again, if you're a publicly traded company in a time like this, it, it could be a bad look, right? Right. If you're raising capital in a time where capital markets are very very expensive, people are going to be like, okay, well, how desperate is X Y Z Corp? Right. But but a smaller business doesn't have that option. So, like I said, they're probably more likely because they are emotionally invested probably going to tap into that home equity that they've built over the last however many years. And that could, you know, cause some serious problems. So here's how I see this playing out. Okay. Okay. Is we've a long called an earnings recession. I still think that's the call. I think a lot of companies across a lot of different sectors are going to start struggling financially and their earnings are going to continue to decrease quarter after quarter for a while. Let's call it a earnings rolling recession. Okay. Yeah. An earnings rolling recession. Let's see how many times I screw that up tonight. <laughs> Earnings so, rolling recession. He's so proud of that comment. Look at him. He, has he is. Yeah. We're combining two of our theories into one. We've been calling see, it earnings recession. And this is why people say that we have a sexual undertone to our show. Is <laughs> you keep making references like that that make people think that we're attracted to one another. I mean, you are very handsome. And earnings rolling recession? Earnings rolling. You know, you said when we combine our, oh, our, our theories. things together. Our theories. You said things. I said theories. I thought I heard tips. I heard, that's what I thought I, heard, that's what I thought you heard too. <laughs> There's three of us. Is it tri-tip? <laughs> dad jokes all day, baby. All day dad jokes. How you doing? <laughs> Let's go. Now drink your bottle. <laughs> all right. So I do believe we're entering into an earnings rolling recession or an earnings recession for those of you who don't speak Saeed. And because of this, what's going to happen is companies are going to continue to struggle. And like Saeed's point earlier, you're going to wind up seeing companies that cannot get the business back on track and need to file some type of bankruptcy, whether that's Chapter 11 or, you know, whatever they might be doing. Or maybe go to the capital markets instead of bankruptcy. But that's going to create an M&A activity market because if you can't grow your company by selling more product and you've gone through the last couple of quarters cutting your expenses, including reductions in force to the extent that you can, what other options do you have? If you have capital and you're in an offensive position, then you buy somebody else and you have efficiencies by buying their business because you already have some of those jobs, some of those things, some of the you know the 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 tools in your, in your arsenal already. You can let some of those expenses go on their side, and you walk into their earnings that they would otherwise have, mm -hmm. and you walk into their balance sheet and their assets. They you would need to be have. well capitalized in order to do. You so. need to be well capitalized. So I think that the the challenge for most of America that they don't see coming. The things that Jamie Dimon does see company coming, which will ultimately benefit him in banks like Goldman Sachs, is if you're in trouble now, you can be bought for cheap later on. They can buy your asses cheaper. So now, if you want to be a conspiracy theorist here, you got two massive problems for the middle class. Problem number one, you can't buy a home now. Typically speaking, the middle class has most of their net worth, which comes from their home ownership, right? Right. If your home is at a maximum equity right now, and you're now at maximum leverage on your credit cards, on your cars, and you typically trade your home up to a bigger home, which has more equity appreciation built into it, and you can't do that, 
you've now tapped out of your growth unless the market continues to go up, which even if it does, how much more can it go up for you, Mr. Mrs. Homeowner, right? If you're not a homeowner now and you want to be a first-time home buyer, you can't buy. So now you're taking all this wealth creation that would have happened in the future and you're, you're pulling it back aggressively. And then you say, okay, well, business owners are still out there. Well, business owners are going to go through very, very difficult times when consumer discretionary spending pulls back. Which is we're already starting to see happen. Small businesses are going to have troubles, as you've noticed here. These bankruptcies have surged or mm -hmm. soared, as the article says. And then the big businesses come in because they're well capitalized, and they buy the small business assets they do. at a discount. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you'll even see some layoffs with those. Further eviscerating wealth in the middle class, only creating a wider and wider disparity between the haves and the have-nots. And it's an unfortunate thing because I, I think that a lot of people don't understand this. And a lot of people who report on it, let's, let's be honest here, economists are generally not well paid. I would say most economists are somewhere in the middle class. It's literally their own predictions that are walking them out of jobs. Yeah. That are walking them out of there. I look at people who work for real estate companies who are, who are economists, right? And I go, you work for a real estate company. <laughs> and I know that your Goldilocks scenario, which is... Fucking ironic of a name, by the way. It's a little if, weird. If you got if you got to use like a children's fairy tale as the way for you to predict the market, we're gonna live in a fairy tale solution market, right? If that's your solution, come on, man. Like, are you living in reality? Or are you living in, you know, Goldilocks and Three Little Bears? I mean, pick a better one. Pick a better one. What do you go with? What's the new one these days? Odin's into all the Disney movies. Give me something, Odin. He's very sorry. I have no idea. I haven't watched a movie since. Oh. This guy. Since yesterday. No. This guy, I'll get in his car and he's listening to like Disney hits. Wow, the classics from like the 90s. Yeah, why can't it be they can't expect a Jasmine scenario? I gotta be Goldilocks. I don't think anybody wants a gold digger. <laughs> what if she, she was the gold, bro? Nah, man. She, only because she thought he was a prince. Mm, but no, but she still went with him after when she found out he wasn't. Yeah, because she was emotionally connected and probably she pregnant. She didn't want the probably prince. Probably pregnant. The, yeah. <laughs> she didn't want the prince, remember? God damn it, Aladdin, I'm pregnant and you are poor? She didn't want the prince, bro. Look, he's correcting you. Huh? She didn't want the prince. It was like a No, rule. she didn't want the ugly prince. She was a princess. She wanted what she wanted, and she wanted the looks, too. Mm. She, she wasn't even interested in the ugly dude's personality. She wanted genie. That's what she wanted. Yeah, she wanted genie. Yeah, grant me my three wishes. But she wanted Rob Williams genie, not Will Smith genie, just to be clear. Especially after the slap, for sure. I mean. Who would? Yeah. I feel like we haven't, we haven't gone down that hole enough. I'm not going to entertain your dark hole examples, okay? Okay, that's I'm fine. Not, I, how many times off the show have I told you, Said, we're not talking about dark holes anymore? <laughs> and yet you continue to bring them up on the show. Just want to, I don't know. It, it's 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 like an obsession. Just want to flaunt it out there. A it's bit. an obsession. I saw you looking at Arun's belly button before. It's very <laughs> awkward. When he's wearing crop tops. <laughs> Arun, let me let me let me just throw something out there. That, that is morbid curiosity. More? Okay. I'm saying. There's, there's old... just trying to high five him. No, no, no. He's trying I'm trying to, to tell him to stop. He's trying to stop. I'm trying to tell him to stop. No, no, it's fine. There's a whole trend of like dudes wearing like shorter crop shirts coming uh, back. A lot of football players, yeah. Not even just football players. There's like dudes, like that's the new thing. It's like high waisted like pants and like crop top shirts. High waisted pants for dudes? Yeah, dudes are wearing high waisted pants and like, and, like crop top this. shirts. Pull it up, Jamie. It's high waisted boot cut pants and and like cropped shirts is like the new style for men right now. Got you. Now we wouldn't wear this because none of us have a physique for it, obviously. Speak for yourself. And okay. All right. That that's just mean. You're seeing a lot on like ah. this. Like this is very common right now. Who's this? No, this is very common. No, this is that's fashion. Yeah, yeah. Weiss, your cousin is very fashionable. This is what he would wear. Okay. I mean, with pearl necklace. Yeah. Right. So, Rune, let's say we bought you a nice pair of Yves Saint Laurent jeans, the bootleg ones, right? And they're high waisted, but you had to wear a crop top, and where where when your arms are down. It doesn't show your stomach. It just shows the top of the jeans, and it's fine. But when your arms go up, yeah. belly button's out. Yeah. Would you wear it? No, no, no. Would you wear it all day long for 100 bucks? but every time we called you, you have to raise your hands in the air no matter where you're at. <laughs> I'm at home 24-7, so I would. You're not home 20. Why do you make yourself sound like you're a homebody? Yeah. Bro, you just got back from the sack. 
A sock. You're sock literally time. the opposite of a homebody. Who comes back from vacation saying, oh, by the way, I've got another vacation in two months? Yeah, I need, I need y'all to get ready for that one. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's going to Belize. Yeah. I'm, bro. Which I just found out is not Europe. I thought that's it was, so exotic. You thought it was Europe? I thought it was in Europe, yeah. It's so exotic that I'm like, I, for, I forgot that that was an option. You can drive to Belize, by the way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I didn't know this, actually. You didn't know that. You just said you thought it was Europe. <laughs> well, now I know. I mean. So you think you can drive to Europe is what you're saying? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Isn't there a bridge or something? Here's what I'll tell you about going to Belize. Bring lots of bug repellent. Especially you, sweet case. Okay. <laughs> You're gonna get bitten. Last time I went to Belize, man, I got mauled. Oh yeah, mauled. It was bad. You last time I went, as if like you go multiple times. When I was growing up, my one of my closest friends was from Belize. You don't have friends. Okay, you've never. One had of friends. my closest associates was from Belize. There you go. So this and, is what a thick person looks like wearing a high <laughs> boot cup. Guys. Okay, first of all, he probably weighs a lot less than you do. Uh, speaking of which, how's your diet? Is it you still losing weight? Uh not after the last ten days. No. Why? Were you stress eating? Uh, no. Just, um, no, I actually ate really well in Sacramento. They went out, they had date night every night. And it was like nice restaurants. It wasn't like fast Wait, 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 wait. Like, you had date night every night? Like your, your in-laws were watching the kids and yep. you guys went out? Yeah. Having uh, shabu shabu. Shabu shabu. We went That's lovely. That's nice. nice. Mexican restaurant up wow. there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, there you go. Not a fan of shabu shabu. What? What? Yeah, man. Not a lot of flavor <sighs> oh, there. Oh, you hate soup. That's why. Not a lot of flavor there. It's kind of like, eh. you would have you would have shabu shabu over a steak. No. Okay then. But I would have shabu shabu every once in a while on a nice rainy day. On a nice rainy day. Yeah, or I could do shabu shabu like three times a week. We know. Stuff is delicious. We know. Yeah. But or three times eat. a day. I mean, you just gotta hold it. Go to the right place. Yeah. Yeah. It's a time. Well, we have a lot more to talk about here, and we're running out of time, especially with all these detours because everyone's back and keeping us sidetracked. We're so, so excited. So excited. From Insider, the Fed's own economists now expect a Goldilocks scenario, no recession, low inflation, and positive growth, to which I say bullshit. This is exactly this is the same article that we, we cited at the start of the show. Yeah, Goldilocks recession um, scenario, which, which is weird to me. Okay, so here's the, the quick two seconds we're running out of time version for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. Okay, they believe because job losses have not increased the way that they typically would to start a recessionary economy, and because you're not seeing the lagging indicators, which should in theory lag longer, respond to the degree they normally would respond to Fed policy, particularly the amount of interest rate increases. They think that the, what small responses they've seen so far might mean they may escape. A recessionary economy. Quoting from the article, so far, based on the analysis, tighter policy has resulted in 5.4 percentage points in the level of real GDP and 7.1 percentage points in CPI. That represents about 65 and 75 percent of the total tightening effects on the levels of real GDP and CPI, respectively. That will occur according to the model. So effectively saying we've gotten 65 to 75 percent of the way there already. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We're not in a recession, kids, according to the people who don't have any obligation to declare a recession. That's true. That's true. But we know that the pain is still ahead, right? The pain is in the hold. And big day this Wednesday. So by mm-hmm. the time this episode drops, CPI will come out. So we'll see what they're going to do, right? You, your voice is really struggling tonight. <laughs> Are you okay? To, you're like, Jesus this, Christ. I'm, I'm trying to hold back this cough. I feel like you're like dying. You okay? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to make it through. We're going to power through. But CPI is coming out Wednesday, so that's going to be big for the Fed. I still think that it, it's not going to change ultimately what they do in September, later this month, uh, the 20th, I believe. Uh, 18th and 20th, yeah. 19th and 20th? Or, yeah, somewhere there. Yeah. It, it's a two-day meeting. Um, but we'll see because their projections for the end of the year was unemployment to reach 4.1%, which mean, all that really means is there's still a ways to go from, from uh, where we are now. And... As soon as the consumer spending really starts to pull back, that means corporate profits are going to go down. And when corporate profits go down, one way that they manage their expenses is to ultimately have to lay off some more employees. Maybe. Or, or you try M&A activity or you go a different route. But and the, look, I think the probability of a, quote, Goldilocks or you know a soft landing or any of these weird-ass scenarios is slim to none. But... There are people who are already out there aggressively acquiring companies in advance 
of what they think might be a change. All right. One of the said companies that was acquired recently is a company that we talk a lot about on the show, Black Knight. Mm -hmm. They were just acquired. And I had no idea until I read this article of what was really going on behind the scenes. And I'll tell you, if, if you read the articles that we post, this is one that I think was super fascinating because I've seen a lot of people over the years try to take technology and roll it into the mortgage market and fail. Um, everybody's tried to wrap their technology around the classic mortgage markets, which has a lot of paper and title and escrow and a lot of collections of things as notaries. And it's always failed, but I've never seen anybody go this, this expensive, this high tech with his background. Okay. So this is from fortune, the man who just bought the New York stock exchange just made an $11.9 billion bet that he can fast trash fast track your mortgage for far less than you're paying now. How's he going to do that? Well, Said, I'm glad you asked. All right. Unbeknownst to me, this guy has been buying uh, companies, companies that I was well aware of, on the low for a very long time. His uh, name is Jeffrey Spurcher, I believe is what it is. Sprecher, whatever. Yeah, Sprecher. Never heard of him before, but I know all the companies he's bought. Before the Black Knight acquisition, ICE, ICE, rolled the three rolled, yeah, rolled the three segments into an end-to-end all-electronic offering called ICE Mortgage Technology. Now, I knew about this company. I didn't realize this was the man behind it. ICE holds dominant positions in three of the platform's component parts. Ellie Mae handles 50% of all originations. MERS has 85 to 90% of the registrations. And Black Knight holds 65% of the servicing market. This guy is owning an entire row of Monopoly. That's what he's doing. So again, just to be clear here. So he owns all three of these companies now. Ellie Mae handles 50% of all loan originations. 50%. Crazy. MERS has 85 to 90% of the, registra- of the registrations for all these loans. And Black Knight holds 65% of the servicing market. Right? Collecting and remitting payments. Yeah. Says Spreacher. We touch nearly every home loan in some way. The network itself is open, he adds, so that customers can either use the components on an a la carte basis or choose the end-to-end solution. Spreacher insists that his model is already making big progress. We've succeeded in getting thousands of third parties on the system, including real estate attorneys, brokers, servicers, and notaries. The idea is to get everyone in the industry talking on the same automated system. Now, how do you see that happening? I see you dying in the immediate future. No, but your you voice see, is coming in and out. Do you uh, do you really see this actually playing out? Yeah, yeah. Um, all three of the companies that he's noticed that he's noted are huge players in their respective spaces in the real estate game. Yeah, and on the single family space anyway. Everyone has tried this, but no one has been able to plunk down billions of dollars to acquire companies of this size and stature mm-hmm. the way that he has been doing. So how does this how does this help the like the average consumer? Well, in theory, if you have an open architectural structure like the one he's building, obviously for his companies, and all these systems can speak to one another, you can originate, fund, close, and service a loan all in the same ecosystem. So think of it this way, and I'll give you a, a very, very broad hypothetical. You go to a broker or an attorney, depending on your state. Yes. They enter your name into a system. It gets underwritten, underwritten in this system, gets funded in this system. Everybody's getting notifications off the same system, gets closed in the system, and serviced in the system. You were always in the system since the day they put you in there. So think of it as like DMV so do you, do you think across the, the country. Do you think the transactions will be able to get sped up a little bit? Well, if this is the true end-to-end solution that he's proposing that it that it is. Mm-hmm. And you can do things like digital signings, which are becoming more and more common now. Yes, a thousand percent you can because make it Because for fast. me personally, I remember the first home that I bought, I went through I went through a broker. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to deal with the headache of shopping around looking for a loan. Quite frankly, I actually, I didn't even know how to, right? Um, and I, I didn't think that we didn't, we didn't have the time. Our lease was coming up and I just wanted to go to a broker and have him handle it. I was willing to pay a little bit more and I trusted the guy, right? Um, he was my number one point of contact. Yeah, and I never had to do anything. So for me, it wasn't really that much of a hassle. And we closed on time within thirty days. It wasn't a big deal. 
So right, if this but- can speed up the process, then maybe. Because that wait period of time of 30 days is it's stressful, man. The biggest weight that he's going to not have control over right now is the appraisal system. Yes. But there is another system which most appraisers use, which, use, which they report in through. Mm-hmm. There's AMCs in the middle, which are basically like a way to make sure that the lenders don't get too close to the, to the appraisers. So they order them through the AMC. The AMC will engage the appraiser, and the AMC will then take the appraiser from the appraisal from the appraiser and then give it to the bank. Yes. The third-party intermediary makes sure there's no collusion between the appraiser and the banks. Yes. Right? Uh, to keep prices up or down or whatever. Right? It's, it's supposed to be neutral and independent. Right, it's supposed to be a true third party. But there are very, very common systems which appraisers use that they could do this all electronically if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think this is the beginning, and we will get there eventually. A lot of people have tried. A lot of people have failed. I do believe this is the way that gets there. Now, note, he has not mentioned anything about blockchain. True. He's not mentioned anything about title and escrow. He's talking about controlling the overall ecosystem from a servicing perspective, from a reg- registration perspective, which is sells in the secondary market and registering these securities. And he's talking about um, the origination side. So yeah. origination, servicing, the whole thing. Right. So this is kind of the ecosystem of, of the loan from when you get it from the very beginning to, to you know, you servicing it over the years to when you pay it off and you don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I think you, get, you got what could become a very, very big and impactful solution. But this highlights the m activity. He's buying in this market now companies that are huge players in the game. He has to be a true believer in what he's doing because he could have otherwise waited until originations are down at, at Penny Mac or in uh, uh, Ellie Mae because yeah. they are down, yeah. I'm sure. He could have waited longer. Now, what's interesting is Black Knight holds servicing rights. Actually, I didn't know that they, they did service. That's, that's where the data comes from. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, okay, it makes sense now, given the fact that we always cite them for their data. Yeah, and the reason why their data is so valuable is servicing rights are loans that have been funded and held, mm-hmm. right? So they're seeing the new loans come on because they're servicing them, and they've had loans held through maturity that they have on their books. Got it. And for them, the value of their company actually goes up in an interest rate increasing economy because those loans don't refinance anywhere near as, as the duration of those loans creep up. Right, right. So they're inherently more valuable for them because they're, they're stickier. Mm, makes and, sense. Yeah. All right. Well, well, we want to get into this review. Um. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Well, you didn't want to read a review, huh? I thought we can go a couple more articles in. We got a lot here, but um, I think we've covered a lot in the last hour. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you're dying. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to be dying tomorrow. Me? Yeah. Yeah. I got a lot, a lot of twerk to do later tonight. This. Doesn't say who who it's from. Oh, uh, Bopulus. This is from Canada. Shout out to all the listeners in Canada. Yeah. So for those of you who leave reviews in Canada, we don't ignore you. We love you very much. What happens is in the United States, they don't post automatically. What happens is we'll see the the count of reviews go up, but the actual commentary, if you have some, won't actually show up in the United States on Apple Podcasts for some time. We do have a third party app or third-party website that we use to track kind of the aggregate data of the downloads and the reviews and it does ironically show up there ahead of the actual posting to apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. so we're not ignoring you it just takes us longer to get your reviews titled number one pod damn right we are damn right we wow. are super arrogant but i agree <laughs> we are an exceptional podcast we are number one in financial literacy five stars because uh Bopulous was just being honest chris saeed Arun are on their a game whether you tune in for the financial literacy, the fat jokes, or just to find out if it's going to be the Rivian or Hummer baby. Strongly leaning towards Rivian at the moment. Yeah. Mm. These three know how to entertain. They always brighten up your day and have you laughing out loud no matter how dark the recession looks. Because you heard it here first. You were the first. Were you? I think Peter Schiff might have been ahead of us. And Patrick by David. No. Yeah, I mean, they were, they were calling it, but they weren't. They weren't sexy when they called it. So that makes yeah. this first. And they don't have beards. So, yeah. Yeah. Much love from your friend up north. Good night, everybody. Bye. <laughs> that, was, that was a great <laughs> review. I'm not going to lie. That was, that was, a, that was a, I, I read that review and automatically sent it to the boys and said, look, this guy gets us. Yeah. Yeah. Those are the ones that bring a smile to our face. Yeah. Is that the only one review? That was it. Okay. Shame well. on everybody. Shame on everybody else. If you're listening to this and you haven't left a review yet, we know you are not leaving reviews and we will be stalking you. Yeah. You can go do so on Apple or on Spotify, or you can head over to the YouTube channel. Subscribe, like, ring that notification bell, do all the fancy stuff. 
Arun, now that you've returned from your fantastic voyages across the globe to the town of Sack. <laughs> the pilgrimage, if you will. The pilgrimage. You've returned from your religious pilgrimage. Northeast-ish. What have you learned? What can you regale us with from an educational standpoint to impart on the people before we say adieu? When you went beyond the wall. Spend time. Uh, no, that's not a good one. <laughs> I was going to say spend time with family, but I was going to say date nights are important. So if you're married, take time for yourself and your partner. Enjoy those. Sound advice. Mm. Take the time to spend time. So, uh, Said and I also, had, before we leave, had one bet going. So, there was a lot of uh, media attention given to um, an airline which flight that had to turn around mid-flight uh, because <laughs> there was a bit of a toxic issue, and it turned out to be somebody had diarrhea in the plane and pooped That was before all the way I in. left. That was before I left. Oh, okay. We weren't, we weren't sure. <laughs> Fuck Okay. <laughs> just checking. I did not know sure, where yeah, this was Just checking. I, I, you seem to be able to answer that question pretty quickly. I, I did not I, I just, know where I, this was going. We, we just wanted to know. That's all. Not you. Good, good. We're happy. All right. All right take us out. All right. <laughs> Jesus <Yeah>. Christ, man. <laughs> just want to make sure it's okay. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye.